Hey everybody, I am here with MAME developer David, and uh, I gotta open up by thanking you and everybody that has ever worked on MAME for making such an awesome piece of freaking software that I love so much. So thank you for joining us today. I mean, you're welcome. It's always good to be able to talk to people about the work we've done. And so I've been doing it for practically what, over 20 years? I think I started doing it about 1999 now. Oh, wow. And so that's when I was getting into it and then doing a little bit more. And over the years, I've done more. And there's slightly less these days because the challenges are bigger and they take longer and everything else. But, uh, yeah, it's it's just something I enjoy doing. And it's been a, probably an important part of my life, I'd say, really. So I'm always glad to hear when people appreciate what's been done and enjoy it and find, discover things from it, learn things from it. And um, I'm glad to be able to you know help take arcade games, computer games, everything else, um, to the next generations, really, make sure that these things aren't left behind in time. So, you know, I, I'm glad to be here. So, you know, if there's any anything you want to ask, any questions you want to fire off, then oh, uh, that's why I'm here. So. There's quite a few. There's quite a few. <laughs> so, the, you know, I think everybody that's listening to this uh, is into, like, the, the preservation and the experiencing of all of these awesome old games and some of the not-so-awesome old ones, because those offer a fun yeah. perspective sometimes, too. I know you do some yeah, streams. That's... You do some terrible game mm. streams sometimes. Uh, but I guess to yeah. start from the beginning, for anybody that's heard the name but doesn't really understand what it is, maybe they're younger and just getting into this, MAME is the Multi-Arcade Machine Emulator, right? I didn't forget the name. Yeah, and originally that was, that was the name. I mean, these days we just refer to it as MAME. We kind of dropped the Multi-Arcade Machine part because we emulate all sorts of things now. I mean, everything from arcade machines, computers, calculators. We did a lot of game and watch recent work recently, so it's not really arcade as such anymore. I know a lot of people still know it by that acronym, but we officially just use MAME these days. But yeah, it started off, say, as an arcade emulator. It started off as an evolution of uh, Nicola, Nicola's um, multi-pack, which was just a Pac-Man emulator that emulated multiple games on Pac-Man hardware. It got merged into other things and eventually became MAME in about 97 and it's just going from there we've done say arcade games for most of the life and then so for the last five or six years we integrated the mess project which was multi-emulator super system which was always looking at the uh, you know the home systems the consoles and that kind of made sense because a lot of the arcade systems were also based on the console tech a lot of the home tech also pushed the chips were emulating much harder than the arcade so it allowed us to improve the arcade emulation, but um, yeah, it's a project that is always evolving, always trying to preserve new things, and uh, always looking for ways to improve, really. I mean, ways we can better ourselves, working with external people and internal people. Um, so yeah, say a lot of it's been external people recently contributing. The Capsoft guys who have been doing the chip decapping, for example. Yeah. Um, we couldn't As programmers, we couldn't possibly do that ourselves, but they've allowed us to have access to the code inside these protection chips and improve the emulator. So, you know, it, it's, it's a big project, but um, basically the scope is anything <laughs> these days, anything that can be dumped and emulated and ran. We'll, we'll have a stab at it. As long as there's somebody interested, external, internal to the team, you know, it, it's it's valid thing to have a, a look at, I would say. So does yeah. that explain it? <laughs> I don't know. That's got to be one of those projects where if, if anybody ever knew the scope that it would cover from mm. the beginning, you probably wouldn't have started it because it's like, oh, <laughs> we're never going to get to all that stuff. That would take 20 years. Yep. And like, you know, here yep. you are. That, so. that, that is the thing. And now we're thinking, well, in another 20 years, what's going to be, what are we going to be, what are we going to have done then? Because right. we, we just don't know this point. But yeah, there's a lot of things that... If, even in terms of my work, I've I've thought I'll be never I'll never be the one to look at that. That's never going to be the the work I'm going to be doing in the project. And then five ten years later, it's like 
I'm doing this work in the project. I'm now doing this thing. And um, it, it, it does work. It is like that, yeah. And I, I don't think um, anybody back, you know, 97 would have thought it'll be doing the things we're doing now, you know, say the game and watch things or anything like that. So, I, I mean, I hope everybody's 97 was when the name first started to, to get out on the scene, right? Yeah, that was sort of the first, I think the first official 0.1 release was February 97, around then. And obviously there was a lot of buzz about the project at that time because uh, people had only seen really bad ports of arcade games up until that point for the most part. And, you know, there were some okay ones on the, the things like the Saturn. But then you've got an emulator on the PC running all these things in original form. Mm-hmm. You know, the emulation wasn't actually very good back then, but at the time it was sort of, wow, this is possible. You know, you can run the original code and it plays pretty much like you'd expect, looks like you'd expect. And uh, obviously that created a big buzz. And uh, the, there were a lot more emulators back then. There were, you know, we had main. There was others like Rain and um, I think it was, was it Sparkade and um, mm-hmm. Rage, Neo Rage X, the Neo Geo one. There were loads more back then doing this kind of thing. But um, sort of Mame is the one that's outlasted them all really. Um, there were still some others around that do arcade. Yeah, uh, Final Burn, Final Burn Neo now is still doing some arcade stuff of their own. Also doing non-arcade stuff. But um, yeah, you. you you wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have thought that any of what was being done now was going to be done when I started back on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, back then I was printing off the source because you could print off bits of the source code and have a good amount of print offs. This is study offline, and these days you'd print off. You'd have a sort of stack of papers about this high, right? And, and books full of it to try and do it. But um, it, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see how it's evolved because at the times when the, the scope did annoy me. I mean, if you look at the history of the, the project when it was split between MAME and MESS, I was putting out these uh, the builds called UMA, Universal Machine Emulator, which combined the two back then. And that was based on when I was trying to emulate the, the Mega Drive hardware for the Sega C2 board. And my test cases were more the Mega Drive games, but I had to cut that out of the project for the MAME stuff. And it's, it never sat quite right with me because my test cases weren't the stuff that was going into the project. And eventually, you know, they, they did become the one project. Do you remember uh, about the year that you were releasing the combined version like that? It was probably about, what? I mean, I think the official merge was about five, six years ago now, so it would have been a couple of years before that. So It's funny. I think about... that's, that's what I was... You know, it's it's hilarious and awesome to me that so many of the people that I get to talk to when I do these interviews are people that I've interacted with for a long time. And I'm wondering if you mm-hmm. and I have ever talked before this, because um, I had definitely used that. I had a Mortal Kombat arcade machine that I built a PC into and yeah. made it, you know, a multi-system emulator. But I wanted mm-hmm. to also include Atari 2600 just because yeah. the joystick I thought would, would translate well in an arcade machine, yeah. which it did. So I'm yeah, pretty sure that's one of the things that I integrated in there as one of the mm-hmm. testing. So <laughs> yeah, it was briefly ultimate main, then it was you and me, and, but that was only ever meant to be a temporary thing. But um yeah, I, I, it's entirely possible. There's a lot of people I'll talk to, and it's go. I remember, I remember reading this update from back in the day. I remember when you did the CPS3 emulation, you know, back back when. And it's like, I mean, to me that was a, a, a rather low point in time because you know you do something that popular, you get a lot of people harassing you about it, and just it's like I, I, I don't want this level of constant nagging about this bug, that bug, everything else. <laughs> I've done my best at the time, um, but. Um, yeah, I do find that a lot. The people go, oh, I remember this. And 
I, I get it a lot on the streams. I, I get people just joining in and, and saying, some, saying something like that. I remember this one back then. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if you've grabbed that before or something similar and given it a try. I mean, you could do it with the separate bind, the main mess binaries before, but I just liked Definitely, having it all, yeah. all under one, one hood, one configuration, one folder, one thing to work with. It just it made it easier for me to develop. Um, mm. And I think we've seen that now with the developments going on at the moment. A lot of people are developing it. They've got their test cases all in one place, and it, it, it works. So... I'm glad eventually that decision was taken to do that officially. And like you said, with, with the arcade cabinet, you had thing, things like a, the a Atari 2600 games work, work perfectly. I mean, you can put Enduro next to Pole Position, and they're both really enjoyable racing games. Absolutely. I mean, you might not quite have the control set up for both of them, but um, I've played Pole Position on Joystick before, and I've played Enduro on Joystick before, and they, they, they're both playable. Yeah. Uh, more so than some of the other games, but uh, you, know, you try and play some of the later Namco races on Joystick, and it's like... No, you you really need a wheel for that. But um, some of the early ones, true. They played pretty well. How old were you when you started working on the project? Old. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm forty now. Same here. Yeah. So uh, let's rewind a bit. Say it. So you're like eighteen, uh, seventeen. Yeah, 18, about then, that. Huh? I mean, it was it was when I was going through a, a pretty rough rough period at school, really, and I hadn't got the grades I wanted, and things weren't great. So it's like it was a bit of a getaway for me to research all these things. See, it would have been around that time, 17, 18, just, you know, trying to find something that meant something to me and that I could uh, do uh, actually contribute something meaningful to. And so, yeah, it was a start, was start about then. Um, I mean, I was talking to um, Attila from RetroGames.com, which was one of the sites I used back in the day. And there's a f- still a few of the the old files up there from things I put out. Um, I know before I was actually doing proper development, I was just packing the code up in various ways um there's a build where i added eagle filters to name you know the the early smoothing graphics which everybody hated at the time because it still do <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean th- then it became really popular it's like no i, I hate this why is, why, why do people do this it's great for 3d um, graphics like n64 mm, playstation 1 3d stuff but yeah mm, not for not for my favorite I, arcade games no I, I i like the proper crt filters that, that they've got these days they kind of actually replicate more of the look you've got without you know destroying every star on the screen because it's trying to smooth it out to nothing yeah um but uh, yeah it's it's just one of those things and so I did an LCD filter thing that tried to blur the screen just with a bit of a novelty. And then I, you know, started um, looking at actual emulation. I think I started with some bootlegs, things like um, the Snow Brothers bootleg, the Winter Bobble, which was also in rain. So I had a reference of it running, but no source code. Just just little things like that. And it kind of progressed from there. So um, when you say that, like, um, like I guess the... I have so many questions. I'm having a hard time filtering what, what I want to fall on my stupid That's face not. here. So when you first started this project at a young age, way yeah. before a lot of the tools that are available today, mm. how would you start adding an arcade board to MAME back in the day, back in the late 90s like that? Um, well, there were a lot of sites around at the time mm-hmm. that had unemulated ROM dumps on. I mean, some of them were good dumps, some of them were bad dumps. And so, you'd, you know, you'd, you'd pull those files. They'd often have a readme information in them with the list of the basic components on the PCB. You're like, this had a 68,000 processor, this had a Z80 processor. And then you'd have existing emulators that maybe did things that MAME didn't do yet. I mean, say Rain was one of them. Uh, I know I ended up emulating WrestleFest in MAME, which ran in Rain for a long time. So, you know, I had an idea that the ROMs were good there and a reference to 
try and get it working even without the source code. But, um, yeah, uh, I mean, a lot of it back then was, for me, was looking at what was already in MAME. You know, there's a game that uses a 68K and uh, looking at that drive and go, okay, I'm not an expert on 68K assembly at the time. I didn't know that much about Z80 or anything else, but I'd take that drive, I'd see what that did. I'd, uh, you know, I'd change, I'd, I'd swap the ROMs for the ROMs from the other game. I'd try and work out how they load. Try and change the program ROMs for maybe what were what looked like they were probably the program ROMs in the new ROM set, and um, sort of evolve that drive into something new. So I'd erase everything to do with the video code in the driver, uh, comment it all out, and then just look at the accesses it was making instead of the original thing, and kind of work from there. I mean. Back back in the early ones, I didn't I didn't always know what I was doing. The quite often people had to step in and go, okay, not quite right. I see what you've done wrong here, and then in improve that. Um, I think one of the one of the earlier cases of that was um, UPL's Ninja Kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Ninja Kun something. I don't think there was an English release of it, but I'd, I'd try my best to get that one running. I know it was a, a Z80 based one with multiple Z80s, but. I didn't know that much about the communication, but I'd, I'd put something that together, displayed the title screen, kind of ran the demo, and then crashed. The, the whole CPU communication was wrong, and somebody else who was part of the team at that time, uh, I think it was uh, one of the fills, I can't remember which fill, um, stepped in and you know finished it off, and then I'd study how it had been improved, and I'd learn from that for future experience of you know next time I'm looking at a game, I have to consider that. I have to consider maybe how this shared memory works how this uh, syncing up the CPUs in MAME works. And at the time, there were a lot of idiosyncrasies in MAME, things you had to do a specific way because of MAME rather than because of what you're emulating. The way memory mapped to CPUs was a bit difficult and didn't always make sense. These days, it's a lot easier. Things are just logical. At a a slight performance cost of, you know, trying to squeeze every 8-bit game into a linear memory space rather than going through handlers to access all the ROM and everything else. There's, there's changes. It was probably more difficult back then to work on certain things than others, and maybe today it's more difficult to work on them other things than it was back then. Because these days the code base is a lot more advanced in terms of language features, C plus plus features, things you might not know off the top of your head. Some of it's kind of obfuscated just by the nature of the knowledge of the language required. Mm-hmm. But back then it was simpler code, but more annoying in other ways because you know. Uh, we were dealing with much weaker process at the time and had to make sure things ran faster because, you know, if you're running on a, you know, 400 megahertz K62, which I think was one of the systems I had early on, it's not got that much performance behind it compared to the machines we have today. Yeah, I think in 99, the average computer, at least in the US, around where I was, was like a 486. That's yeah, pretty much it. it. Maybe a Pentium, maybe, but at that time, your average house had, you know, average computer house had a 486. Yeah, I think it, I know my first PC was a Windows 95 machine, and that was a Pentium 100. Hmm. And I think I moved on to some 200 megahertz AMD from there, then a 400 megahertz. And it was around that 200, 400 megahertz period of PCs that I was starting to get into MAME. And the fact that you could write a very simple bit of code to improve a bit of emulation and suddenly 
your, your frame rate would nosedive. Yeah. You're having to consider all these things back then that these days you can write nice, clean code and, and take for granted. So the challenges have changed over the years. That 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 is for sure. Um, uh, anyway, uh, yeah. that's about... It's funny that you said, <laughs> like, um, maybe not funny, but it's interesting to me that you said that the way that you learned how to do this is by jumping in and doing it and then kind yeah. of, you know, once you're inside, figuring out what's going on while you're in there, because that's exactly how I learned. And mm. as I've talked about that in the podcast, I thought I was, to be honest, I thought I was really freaking weird. I thought it, because I know so many people that would, like, they read a book on something, and then now they've learned mm. it, and then they go do it. And I'm the opposite. Like, I could read that book 50 times, and I don't, yeah. I barely retain. But the moment I do something, mm. especially the moment I screw something up, like, yeah. that's when I really learn. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. You know, that's, I'm not yeah, a programmer, you... by the way. I, it's not, I don't know why I've tried. It's, uh, I can't wrap my head around stuff like that. But everything mm. else is pretty much, you know, I've done IT forever and stuff yeah and i just... mean a lot of uh, a lot of games these days are done more by artists than programmers you know they know a bit of flash script rather than programming and they've moved, they've evolved from there they know that they know the graphics and they can do, use the programs that just put everything together for them mm-hmm. so it, it's uh, it's, a, it's an evolving industry in that sense but um yeah a lot of it is just um diving in and throwing some to get something together and seeing if it, it works or not i mean even today uh well not today but say a couple of days ago i was um looking at one of these in fact it's this one i've got right here i was looking at the emulation of this uh rather awful handheld um and um you know i've done some work on it in main a year or two ago and there was no sound and i didn't think i'd be able to get the sound emulation working because sound emulation isn't really my area but i just thought well here's the code i'll have a look at something else there's some there's some preliminary attempts to show me where the sound right should go and i'll just hook something up and um yeah i ended up with some sound coming out of the emulation now it's not perfect i think it'll need somebody else to again to look at that and maybe knows a bit better mm-hmm. but if that get merged gets merged there is now preliminary sound emulation in that one just because i jumped in and did a task that i didn't necessarily think was going to go anywhere um and it's, it's say that's not changed that much and it is a good way to learn good way to understand things and yeah, this is where most of um, my knowledge and understanding of MAME has really come from. It's self-taught. And I think that's a valid field. I mean, I've done industry work on games and stuff like that. And as much as your, your qualifications matter for some of them, they will also look at your portfolio, what you've done, how self-motivated you are to work these things out. And it's it's not just reading the books. It's trying things out. It's seeing what works. It's seeing what doesn't. And like you say, um, mistakes. Uh, before I had PC, I had um, 8-bit micros, I had uh, Spectrum, mm-hmm. and I had um, Amstrad CPC. And uh, I think I've said this, uh, I might say this in the other podcast I, I did recently, but um, I learned what formatting a disc meant the hard way. Me too. too. I was like five years old and my dad had a tandy 1000 i don't know if you guys got those over there but like mm. I, and i i he taught me the directory command and i'm looking at everything yeah. with an exe and i'm like oh format that sounds like a neat yeah. game and then you know disc is gone <laughs> so <laughs> yeah exactly i remember the exact game that was on that disc too it was a copy of uh, one man and his droid which isn't, isn't a great game but it's one of those games that since i lost once i got into emulation found the Spectrum Amstrad emulators. I wanted to try again because I knew that I had that disc as a kid and formatted it. In the end, I realised, no no big loss. It's just a game. It's quite an interesting game, but it's 
not especially fun. It's one of those that's like nice concept, bad game. Um, yeah. I still need, I need to do some sort of stream about those at some point. I'm going to do a Spectrum stream at some point too, but that one isn't on there because not all the games are easy to stream either. Uh, it's one thing you find with these games, especially the bad ones. It's like, well, um, how do I explain what's going on when I barely understood what's going on myself? <laughs> <laughs> um, mm. That's funny. But uh, yeah, you know, you just uh, you just triggered a memory there for me. Um, my dad bought a software called Copyright R I T E, and it was mm. basically just a copy disc copy software that got around yeah. co- uh, any kind of copy protection. And yeah. I remember when he came home, he wasn't the slightest bit mad because I had formatted a copy of something because he was smart enough to know yeah. I got a, you know, a nosy little kid who wants to play with the computer. <laughs> so, he, you know, he all the discs that I had access to were copies of the stuff he actually bought. Gave you a little sandbox to play in. The, yeah. the sort of automatically cracked versions of the games, not the originals. And yeah. Yeah. I guess uh, I've been a dirty pirate since a kid, but, uh, you know, <laughs> this was software my dad bought. So it wasn't like uh, yeah. he was stealing it. So it's kind of funny. But you, you kind of learn things from that too. You learn about the copy protection. You learn things that you can't copy that don't work. And you, you know, you, you might have given you a copy that of a game that had a copy protection message, like after a few levels, and you, you it starts to trigger, trigger thoughts of oh, so this is a copy. This isn't the real game. And then you, again, you kind of learn from there you get curious about things yeah um, and as a kid the first thing you do is figure out how to get around that copy protection because yeah. if you're 10 11 yeah. years old you don't your brain doesn't grasp consequences yet you don't see the money you're taking out of a dev's mm. pocket you're 11 years old no. and you go let's see what no. i can do next so no I, I i remember back on the amiga which i also had there was there's was one i can't remember which game it was but it, it had a manual copy protection se- sequence and at the time i didn't know 68k assembly or anything else but I could open the disc image in a disc editor and I saw all the words that were in the manual and mm. I just blanked them out. And then when I tried to load the copy, I just entered nothing and it loaded. It was primitive, but it was still a kind of learning experience That's awesome. without learning the assembly. And, and yeah, it's, it's just one of those, those little things to do when you're, when you're younger, say that probably about 11, 12 at the time, uh, something like that. Um, Modern yeah, Vintage Gamer has a bunch of videos and he gave a great live talk about cracking encryption as a kid and growing up and all yeah. the different encryptions he's figured out ways to get around yeah. and stuff like that. It's, so. it's what, you, what, what we do with a lot with the main stuff as well. There's so many protections we have to deal with. Yeah, And um, I've talked about the decapping stuff earlier, but before we could actually get the code from inside the chips, we had to you know study the behavior of them and basically write simulations of them and all sorts of stuff like that. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. So how does that work? How does that work? Especially, you know, whether you want to talk about how you do that today or, or back then doesn't really Mm. matter. How, how would you go about doing something like that without the decapping process? Well, um, it depends, depends how the protection is integrated into the game. Mm -hmm. A lot of arcade boards will use, an MCU of some sort, maybe a 68705, and they'll have a fairly standard communication protocol. You know, they'll, they'll write a command to the device, they'll expect some data back. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if they write a command to a device and then expecting a very specific value back, you re- you'll study the, uh, you know, the original code and just return that value on the reads. And for some games, that's all they need. There are, there are literally some games that will check one value on startup and then happily run the game because they've put absolutely minimum effort into doing the protection. It's just a case of if the chip's not there, it doesn't run. Mm. Uh, uh, I think is it. Um, I think 
Capcom's Black Tiger might be one of those. Um, um, yeah, there's a few like that. But there are other ones where, you know, you start to see more commands being sent, more responses wanted. You realize it's performing some kind of descramble operation on the value that's written, and you have to kind of look at the data that's being written, look at the data that's expected back, work out what sense that means, what makes, uh, you know, what the formula might be, what what it's using the data it reads it back for. Um, some games will write a level counter in one format and expect it to be read back in another format. Or, you know, the, the write a value and expect the address in the game ROM where a power data is stored or something like that. So again, you have to start um, looking at these things, building up tables, analysing them. Um, and sometimes you'll have to run tests on the real hardware. I mean, um, the PGN game Puzzly 2, for example, is one that I spent a lot of time getting to work. And um, we, we know it's an ARM-based processor as the sub-CPU, the, the, the protection CPU. But um, none of the commands in that in any way exposed the internal ARM code. So we couldn't extract the code. So I had to study what the commands did, and um, they basically do things like decompressing the level data. So the it'll start writing run-length encoded sequences to the protection device and wanting to read decompressed level data back for the level structure. And uh, to work that one out, um, I was working with somebody who had, um, had, had the board, had the cartridge, and uh, was running any modified version of the program code that I wrote on the board. And it was just printing numbers all over the screen. So every single protection write, I would log on the screen as a number on the text layer. And then every response would just come back as another another set of rows of text. And then i just compare, you know, what what the chip was um, sending back with uh, what, you know, what was written, try and work out the formula from there. And... That mostly works. There's a few still in that drive. There's still a few hard-coded values for I think the um, I guess the music address location in the ROM, which is sending a number and getting a descramble number of sorts back. But I couldn't work out the actual formula there, so we just we've just got the values that the, the program requires in the simulation. Um, but yeah, there's all sorts like that. The more complex the protection, obviously, the more complex the routine is uh, some calculate player movement angles some calculate collisions there's loads of them and there's still there's still plenty in MAME that haven't been fully figured out yet um i did a um cebu stream recently one of the things that always gets us about cebu is the cop protection which is used on cebu cebu soccer um and that is really complex <laughs> uh, it's kind of been figured out enough to run raiden 2 legion um, a few of the others but uh cebu cup soccer is using it in a far more advanced way than any of those. It's uploading slightly different sequences. And that's like the, the protection is running mini programs that the, the, the uh, game code provides in a completely custom language, you know, little snippets. Uh, I, I call them macro functions, because that's kind of what they are. And they handle collisions, movement, radar, graphics, whitelist sorting, all sorts of things. And it's just incredibly complex. And that's not even an MCU. That's some sort of... Um, custom programmed FPGA, FPGA type chip from back in the day. Um, and yeah, it's some of them are difficult. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad that, uh, you know, for a lot of them these days, we've got the, the code and we can actually run them as CPUs. Um, Titan ones especially. Um, 
You know, I was replacing the Rainbow Islands protection simulation, which was an incredibly complex one. Looking at the code for that, you know, you can tell the person who studied that one, but that wasn't me in the first place, uh, really, really loved Rainbow Islands and, and pulled the whole game apart and understood exactly what the protection was doing and everything else. And it was a detailed thing of that. This provides the enemy locations and everything for this level. This provides the platform data. This provides this. Even then, though, after all that, there was like a, a mystery on the random number generation for the objects at the end of a level for the goal. So when it, it throws out the, the bonus items at the end of the level, that's a random number generator, and they could not figure out the algorithm for that. So even then, with an extensive simulation that somebody had done, uh, having the decap chip, the original code, just meant that it was improved that just, just that little bit more. But now it's running the original code. It's got the original random number generation sequence in there that's now running in MAME. And, you know, you admire what somebody's done before, because I, I know how much work it would have been to create that protection simulation. But at the same time, you know, it's glad to be able to just throw that out the project and replace it with the proper emulation of the chip now the chip is dumped. But, uh, yeah, that say it's... It's a long process, and that's just some of the simple, the, the, the more simple cases. There are, there are other cases with protection where, you know, you, you've got entire significant piece of the piece of the game logic hidden the device, and they're much more difficult to deal with. Um, you know, sub c CPUs with internal ROMs running parts of the game code. Um, and sometimes it's, it's, it's you know, funny the cat and mouse game that we all have to go through to get this done, right? Because mm. when these games were manufactured, putting this copy protection in and getting all this stuff right was so important because yeah. you don't want, you know, especially back in the day, right? If somebody mm. with a bigger warehouse than you clones your board and sells 10,000 yep. and you only sold 1,000, you know, it's it was way harder yep. to try to put a stop to any of that. But if you want this game to live on, now another <laughs> set of people have to reverse engineer it. And it's not as easy as the original devs no. just going, here's the code, because they're still, who owns the IP? Like, you know, are you really going to get sued because you gave the code of a 35-year-old game out to the internet? Like, no one wants to take that risk. So no, it's, it's a necessary <laughs> cat and mouse game to go through all that. And it's, I know a lot of people like to use the, the P word, preservation, as a buzzword these mm. days to bump up them selves in the algorithm or something, but it's it's really important. There are a group of people yeah. that have always been out there to want to make sure, like, mm. let's let's take the steps. Let's just get it working. Let's get the game working. Yeah. Let's have a way to play it, and let's go back and try to make it as accurate to the original as possible, both for mm. fun factor and just because, you know, you don't want to... At the end of the day, if you had a choice, you wouldn't want a snapshot. Like, you wouldn't want a blurry picture of you to be how you're remembered, right? You want the real picture uh, of you. So it's the same thing with a game, you know? Yeah. I mean, games are an interactive media. That's why I don't really like the whole streaming service, because, you know, if a game is on a streaming service, nobody apart from the streaming service has got the code. And that is really bad. That's really risky. You know, there's a good chance things like that being being lost, because... So you don't want that snapshot. You don't want that blurry picture. You want to be able to preserve the the original the original game. And yeah, that's you know what we've been doing over the years. That's what a lot of people have been doing over the years. I mean, I really admire the work that's been done in the Apple II scene. I mean, you've got four AM and the like, preserving all the, the original copy protections, all this educational software that nobody really cares about as software anymore because most of what it's teaching isn't even relevant anymore. But just preserving, it, keep keeping it. Making sure it's done properly. A lot of this stuff is heavily protected, and, and uh, you know, 
probably never left the schools it was sold to. Um, yeah, but the efforts to go into that always lead to other stuff, right? Like, yeah. um, you know, the Doomsday Duplicator Project. I'm not sure if you've heard about yeah. that, but the laser yeah, disc yeah. stuff. Doomsday. Yeah, Doomsday. Sorry. That, uh, yeah. When that, you know, when that project first started, it it was really focused in preserving one thing, and then it very quickly blew up to preserving yeah. all laser discs, and now it's going on to yeah. VHS tapes and other stuff, and it's like, yeah. you know... So, it seems so insignificant in the moment until you mm. uh, years go by and you realize what it's been extended to. Yeah, it's like the MD yeah. Fourier project that Artemio started. Yeah. You know, for for uh, the Sega Genesis stuff that's already mm. been ported over to other consoles, and that's also being used to test audio equipment to make sure people's yeah. recordings are are good as well. So you know, yeah, it's it's people often don't understand how important it is and in the mm. moment and that's fine that's a very nerdy thing to have to understand if you're not part of this i wouldn't expect you to but us fellow nerds need to you know mm. always remind people just because it might not seem awesome in the moment it's always going to yeah. lead to better things eventually yeah that uh, again you can say that about the whole the whole of the main project i mean started off as an arcade emulator now we've sort of got industry standard component source code to emulate cpus and everything else which has you know it, uses far outside of anything even we're doing and it's you know these days because of the project relicensing from a, a few years ago um it's all under gpl or bsd which means companies can use it everything else and you've got all these components that can be used for more than just gaming they can be you know integrated anywhere people want as long as they're following the license which are now clearly defined and um yeah i mean I think that's going to be important in the future as well. You, I mean, you already see in, in like Windows, there's emulation components for old sound, you know, sound blaster, MIDI emulation, all this stuff. It's not just playing games emulation. There's so much more to it, and uh, making sure there's a good library of com um, component emulations is just as important as the, the emulator itself. And again, you don't you don't think of that when you you start it. Nicola, I'm sure, didn't think you know we're going to have all these components this library of components that can be used for even you know research for data recovery far outside the main you know there's there are companies out there that need to recover data from old systems they're now using emulators to work out how to program these systems to recover the data because there's there's nothing else out there mm -hmm. um it's you know create things that can interact with this old hardware without the original systems being there to interact with the old hardware and um then you've got sort of the FPGA, the Mister Scene, building on top of what we've done. You know, a lot of the, while that's a, a quite a different area of research. Most of the devs that have done um, work for that type of thing, we're going, you know, without main pointing in the right direction. We want to be able to do that, mm -hmm. and that's now creating another field of its own in terms of you know this uh, clone hardware type type thing that's going on. And it, it, everything leads to something else, which I guess is what you were saying. And you don't always understand where it's going to lead at the start. You just you just get on with it, and sometimes these things happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I I gotta try to make a better effort to talk about the other aspects of Mame whenever I discuss it, because for mm. me personally, like because of what I do in retro RGB, like if I really yeah. want to mess with the Super Nintendo, I have four of them right there I could choose from. So yeah. I'm not going to use Mame to emulate something that I just no. I have. Um, but... Mame Super Nintendo isn't the best anyway. But right, but in arcade board, <laughs> like even my friends with large arcade collections, 
don't have 3000 arcade ports no. you know like there's just um, there's so much you could do with the arcade stuff so i got to make mm. an effort to make sure i'm not diminishing the other work cuz it is super important i just mm. personally get so excited about the arcade yeah. side of things yeah and, and, uh, a, a lot know. of people do and that's that's understandable there's things in mame that i look at um one of my favorite games in mame is the uh, the prototype version of moon war mm. and um to date i think we've found one half of that PCB in what you know in America, and I think it was somewhere somewhere like Australia. The other half of that PCB, the soundboard <laughs> was dumped. You know, a good four or five years before the actual main game board, and clearly at one point that that unit was together. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's probably only a handful of copies, and clearly they'd been split at some point. So yeah, you, your arcade's not going to have that, and it, you know, <laughs> it's it's, certainly it's, not. It's, no. It's a fascinating little game. I mean, it's built on the Berserk Frenzy hardware, so it's got all the speech, you know, your classic speech from, from Berserk and Frenzy, slightly different clips. And it's a simple... It's not a vector game. It's presented in a vector style. It's a simple addictive shooter, and it's like, this is far better than the actual version they released, because they, they uh, Stern reworked it and issued what was known as Moon War, which says on the PCB Moon War 2, which was just a very generic raster game with a background and everything else. Clearly, they thought the, the old-style Berserk graphics were too dated or something like that and didn't release it. The old version. Old version. But yeah, if you've got an arcade, you, you're probably never going to have seen that. I mean, I consider it pretty much a miracle that that both parts of that got dumped and emulated and we've got the game and the speech because, you know, for, for a long time we just had, what are these Berserk speech ROMs that don't fit Berserk? And then the, <laughs> the main board turned up. So, yeah, there's, there's all that. Um, I mean, outside of arcades, though, um, so I've been doing a lot of the the plug-and-play work for the, you know, the um, things like the Jack-specific units. Mm-hmm. They're always based on the Sunplus technology. And um, a lot of them is a really difficult dump, which is why we've not done all of them. But uh, we did have... The, we did have, uh, I did have one of the developers for some one of the games come up to me and go, okay, we, we developed this game that was never released. Do you want to support it? And it's like, okay. So, we, you know, we've got uh, an, a completely unreleased unit now that, again, is just uh, just as rare as any of the arcade boards supporting main. And it's based on, you know, a, a popular IP. It's based on some of the, the DreamWorks stuff. So people who like the DreamWorks movies might find it interesting to look at these games that were never released that there was literally not a single shred of information about on the internet until this guy came forward and, and goes you know can you support this because it, it, it was cancelled so That's awesome i love to hear yeah, stories like that um there's all sorts of interesting little bits within the arcade stuff outside of the arcade stuff and it kind of makes it feel worthwhile i mean you know you're emulating all these really bad bad units and then somebody comes along and goes there's some unreleased material and it, it it just makes it feel like you're doing something that matters to somebody even if it matters to like five people something they worked on is now out there which is yeah you just described half my yeah. videos man i guess <laughs> i did one one project was like a hundred hours worth of work and i think the video got like 1500 views and I guarantee half of those people were like, wow, this is exactly the solution to the problem. And everybody else was like, why the hell am I watching this? <laughs> so, but yeah, you're right. I mean, if it's, if, if it's important to you, then it's important to other people. What do you think is the platform that you've worked on or the thing that you've worked on? It doesn't have to be one, but what is something that really stands out to you as, as something you're really proud of that you worked on for the project? Um, that That is a... Um big question um it is that's why i said don't you don't have to pick yeah, the, your no, favorite I mean, just one that pops up into your head 
If I think about systems I've enjoyed working on the emulation of, I think the uh, Psycho SH based platforms that run like Strikers 1945 2, um, 2 and the like, that that was that was a fun one because I mean the all the little effects it does, all the unusual blending modes it has and things like that. And also, you know, it's got some some good shooters on that I enjoy. Um I think that the PGM emulation was a big time investment, especially dealing with some of the protection, like I said, the Puzzly 2 stuff. And uh, Kaneko's Supernova, uh, which has the likes of Kyven on some of the later Gauss Panic games. I think of the three that come to mind of systems where I genuinely like the games on them and found them interesting to work on. Hmm. Uh, those would be up there. And they're, they're, I mean, some of that's... Pardon me. Some of that's um, down to the hardware itself. I mean, the Supernova I mentioned has got... A kind of interesting RLE sprite system where it would uh, decompress the graphics. Um, PGM's again sprite system is kind of interesting. It's all packed into two separate sets of ROMs for the shapes and the color data and things like that. Um, and as I say, the Psycho one has got all the blending effects. So if you look at the clouds on the, the first level of Strikers 1945 too, uh, but it's randomized. But there's a level of all the clouds, and it's very rare to see. Uh, hardware that has varying degrees of transparency as an effect. Uh, as standalone games go, with like one game on the hardware, the uh, Sega Cool Riders, mm-hmm. that's another one with its own unique um, compression sc- compression scheme on the graphics and trying to get that all optimised so it ran quickly was a challenge. And in these days, if I look at the code I wrote for that, it's kind of... Um, Maybe I should clean the code up so maybe it's not so fast, but it's more readable. Because I, you know, I was having to uh, write code to cache the decompressed decompressed sprites just for the speed on the machine I was using at the time, uh, which I think was a, a Core Two Geo, and obviously now Core Two Geo is a good ten plus years old. Fifteen, uh, now. yeah, actually, probably closer to fifteen. It's yeah, those pretty the ones old. I used to work on when uh, I designed uh, helped. I was on a team that designed computers. I, I, I yeah. sometimes I accidentally feel like I'm stealing credits. Not intentional. <laughs> I was on a team that did. And those were the uh, the processors that we were switching over to, the, the mobile versions. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I ended up installing in my Mortal Kombat machine because I had all mm. these prototype boards that, you know, were junk, mm. but you couldn't sell them. So uh, yeah. I ended up wiring it up. But I was I actually yeah. really impressed with the speed of AIM on a mm. Core 2 Duo. It only had like... Well, yeah, at the time, they were, they were really good processors. I had a few machines based on the Core 2 stuff. And it's, it's obsolete now. But it get, compared to say the old old processors worked on, it um, it gave you some space. I mean, I'd optim. I think uh, I was optimizing Cool Riders and uh, the Cave C- uh, CV one thousand emulation for that processor. So I was always trying to find ways to do a bit a bit of threading because Mame doesn't use that much threading. It does the three D drivers and the Netlist audio stuff. But in general, a lot of emulation is um, depends on the single core performance, not the number of cores. But I was trying to f- find ways to utilize that. So, yeah, it ju- it just gave me enough to get those to full speed on that machine. I mean, I'm glad I don't have to jump through those hoops now again. And again, <laughs> looking at some of the code, it's like that, that's probably some of the ugliest code in MAME just to get the speed there. <laughs> but um, again, they were fun challenges, though. The, say the the emulation, the um, Trying to optimize that that cave driver because uh, Luca 
Luca wrote it in the first place, but he, he sent it, and it ran about, I think, about 25 30% speed on the machine I had, hmm. which wasn't much fun. It's like, this is too slow. Yeah. So it's like, um, find idle skipping, find ways to make the compiler generate the most efficient code paths for the... You know the the video blitter and things like that, and uh, yeah, that's it. That was a fun one. Um, so I can't take too much credit for that because it was working with somebody else's code and optimizing it. And there's still a lot to do. I, I don't like to talk about that one too much because one of the big things with that cave hardware is the uh, you know the blitter timing, the slowdowns, because the games run as if the the machine had sort of infinite fill rate, which means the bullets are flying like this all over the screen and. You can't really dodge them too easily, but that's something for the future in trying to work out exactly how that's all calculated without just relying on hacks. Yeah, those some but, of those um, games are impossible. Like I just, I, I have no idea what they expected you to do in the arcade. Did they just expect no. you to show up with you know ten bucks worth of quarters or like? I, I just, yeah, <laughs> the thing was the but... single credit replays on on YouTube, and you realize people have learned how to play them. They're fairer than a lot of the older games that had co- collision boxes that were outside of your ship. I mean, right. say the key with those things is really the collision boxes are basically two or three pixels in the middle. And so the bullets are like two or three pixels in the middle. So if you sort of look beyond the flashy visual graphics and try and think where are the collision boxes, it's not as tricky as some of the older games to play them. But it is when they're moving far too quickly, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. uh, you know the, the designers knew that if they put that many bullets on the screen, the game would slow down. And when it doesn't in MAME, it's like, yep, we just up the difficulty ten times. So um, you know, it's that brings up a, a really good point in that for years, I mean, I've been, you know, I, when I was thirteen or something, I started a website talking about all of the new emulators that are out for computers, which is funny because it's like the same shit I do with retro RGB, but you yeah. know, as a little kid, but. Um, all of it was chasing a computer fast enough to be able to emulate it properly. And all of these Mm. brilliant devs were finding different ways to get them up to speed by sacrificing a little bit here and there. But we're at the point now where, you know, the example you just gave of the original hardware has slowed down, which makes Mm. the game playable. And now you have emulation that's so fast that it's too fast. (laughs) So where about are we at with CPUs? And I guess Raspberry Pi 4, because I I like Um. that just because it's a very easy solution mm. for people um i think the test that uh, that dan did with the rpi4 said that they mm. were actually able to play most games at full speed um yeah they don't do a too bad job of the current version of the main lot, some of the stuff like the netlist audio which brings a modern system to its knees almost i mean mm. i think some of those are about 400 percent speed on a four gigahertz pc and maybe dropped about 200 they're difficult but that's sort of analog circuit simulations. But otherwise, um, if you for a current version of MAME, a Pi 4 does do an acceptable job with the classics and all the current emulation and the improvements, you know. So you get in the more accurate emulation and you're not having you know, you're not having to use the older versions that were full of these hacks that we had to do at the time because either we didn't know more or we had to somehow make them run at a, at a reasonable rate. It's it's not ideal. I mean, it's still significantly slower than a PC. And, you know, I think I think the PC still runs things about ten times faster than the Pi Four. But um, what kind of processor do you think would run? Would you know if somebody wanted to make a a really good multi-cade system? You know, in their home, hmm. what CPU do you think would you recommend for that? 
Um, well, I've got my um, fairly old now. I I think it's i7-490K, 4 gigahertz i7. And say that's I think that's about seven years old now, and that is a good processor. Um, the, the, so I think you can probably get something cheaper than I uh, pay for that new just as fast, if not faster these days. And um, so you do want to be looking at a fast CPU, especially if you want to look uh, beyond everything that MAME's doing. I mean, you've got the PlayStation 3 emulators now. There's a PlayStation 4 emulator just come out. and you, No, you might totally want... understandable, but I definitely want to focus just on people that want to do an arcade machine. You know, not mm. not anything, not any modern consoles, basically. Not anyone. So before, or I guess PGM, yeah. I think games, PGM and Neo Geo, I think were made past the 2000s, but I think you know what yeah, I mean that, that, I mean, you know. I'd say Neo Geo is pretty lightweight to emulate because it's just throwing lots of sprites, sprites at the screen. Um, I mean, say for the, for everything I've I run, the, the CPU I've got, which is say a seven year old CPU, does the job. And in general, we would recommend sort of an i five around you know the three to four gigahertz mark as a fairly safe bet. Um, things like the discrete audio, the netlist audio is quite demanding. Uh, so the, the lower clock speeds might not handle it. The fewer cores might not handle it too well. Um, but it, it does sound really good. I mean, compared to, say, old samples, if you file something like um, Boxing Bulls or Tranquilizer Gun in main, they just sound... It, it's difficult to put, put my finger on it. They just sound so much better. It, it feels like a more dynamic sound, a more... There's, there's more life to it, uh, but you do need the, the hardware to do that. And um, again, it's one thing people will go, oh, yeah, you can use a you know 15-year-old PC and run all the classics just fine, all the old games. But say some of these are 80s games, some of these, you know, Sega's old um, soundboards, things that, uh, what was the game? Is it Astro Blaster? Um, say, I think Astro Blaster on the speech, that's using Netlist Audio, and that sort of manages about 200% speed on my PC because it's just that complex emulating all the analog circuits so yeah that they are taking a bit out of the, the range of say a Raspberry Pi or something like that mm. um, and even things like um, you know, the, the, the Mr. Project is really good that that just they've got really accurate emulation on those but things like discrete sound circuits again are really not what that type of hardware is made for that that is good for you know digital circuits uh, PCs and you know, technology these days in general is not meant to sim simulate analog circuits. <laughs> right. It's just that demanding. It's you know, you, you buy commercial software to do the same job, simulate circuits, and it won't be running them in real time. I mean, even for the you're talking about um, for about people having to push really hard to get performance on on the systems around years ago. For the Netlist Audio and Mame, it's the same. You know, we're having to. Well, and I say we. I'm, I'm not personally doing the netlist stuff. I, that, that is far beyond me. But the people doing it, they're having to, you know, try and compartmentalize uh, parts of the netlist audio. Where really on the PCBs, there might be some sort of leakage on the circuits between the different components that would change the sound slightly. There are so many compromises, even just to do what is being done. Mm -hmm. So it, it depends. You know, it, it depends what you, what your expectations are, what you want. Um, I think a realistic well, expectation for people is to be able to play a game where it's not severely impacting the overall mm. experience. Yeah. So, like, if you... 
like uh you know in the mk machine i would obviously switch between the original board and emulation Mm. but sometimes when there was a whole bunch of people over that weren't serious gamers i wouldn't switch back to the original i would just load up the emulation version on a core 2 duo 2.2 with uh two gigs yeah. of ram or something like that yeah i i, I think that'll probably still do more coming today yeah yeah it was totally fine there yeah. was you know it wasn't but you know we've all seen the situation where you either slow down you know there there's uh huge frame drops you know huge frame per second yeah. drops and um crazy input latency so you can't even finish your moves because mm. there's just nothing's keeping up or so i think yeah. realistic is just being able to uh, for a casual user to not really know the mm. difference I, I, do, I do get that. Uh, that's why I say, I, I think what we recommend at the moment, which is sort of, uh, say, a, a Pi 4B would be sort of the the, ba- the, the base. Pi 4B, I wouldn't go be- below a Pi 4B. I mean, the Pi 3s, with any current version of MAME, really do struggle. You know, mm. they, 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 they don't run the classics properly. Anytime we've had to improve the emulation, which includes critical gameplay fixes, things like the Taito C chip emulations, which control, you know, your basic game logic. Operation Wolf wasn't spawning in proper bosses and cutscenes and things like that. These these are important things to people who actually want to play the games properly. Right. If you're missing bosses, you're missing bonus rounds, you're missing things like that. Yeah. So yeah, Pi 3 is too low. So when the older builds that were ported to the Pi were the older builds of MAME that were designed to run on not as powerful hardware anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're... so you know, to anybody books. listening, we're doing this over, uh, over yeah. Discord, and Discord itself has a bit of a delay, and we're you know across the pond from each other. So my, mm. my apologies for talking over you sometimes, but yeah. So for um, I totally lost where I was where I was going there. Sorry, you you go if you remember. <laughs> you was you were saying the uh, the older version. The, it's the older version that end up on the the pie in general, and yeah, for right. the older pies, that is true. You're typically dealing with. You know, main versions from 2000, 2003. Mm-hmm. When, if you think about it, in 2000, main was three years old. In 2003, main was six years old. We didn't know that much back then. <laughs> and that is sort of represented in the state of the emulation those those devices are running. The Pi 4 did up, up, the, up, up its game enough to be able to do a reasonable job with the newer ones. So you do benefit from, you know, all that new knowledge, which is, is there. And then if you want, say, get a a decent mid-range i5 from sort of seven years ago or so, you, you, you can benefit even more because you you can run more of the games and you're not having to fall back to those older versions. Because even with the Pi 4, there are times when you will have to fall back to those older versions just in case in, in, ta- in cases where we've improved it a bit too much beyond what the Pi 4 can run. Because, I mean, realistically, the Pi 4 has still got performance, you know, the, the performance of a PC from about... 10, 15 years ago. It's it's not something you can realistically keep in mind whenever you're doing development. It, right. It's a yeah. case of... And I don't you think know, you, you should either. It's just my opinion, but no. I think you should proceed as you have been and it's just yeah. how to get this as optimized, how to get this as accurate as yeah. possible, and the hardware is coming. So if it's not yeah. already here. Yeah, uh, the hardware is here. You, you can buy it for the PC and hopefully for the you know the smaller... The, these. Uh, you know, the single board computers, it will improve. I mean, hopefully, you know, the Pi 5 will be another step up from the Pi 4, Pi 6, whatever else. It's, it, it'll all come. I mean, you say, you look at some of the some of the phones you can buy these days, and they're, they're pretty they're pretty powerful for the size they are. It, it, it will come. It's, it's just, you know, we're not going to say, oh, yeah, 
you dumped this MCU, we're not going to emulate it because it will take the performance requirements too high. We're going to try and improve it, you know. Say, with things like Mister, Mister is setting the bar high all the time. We're not going to suddenly not try and better main because people are still trying to run it on underpowered hardware. We're mm. going to always try and improve things. Uh, sometimes the Mister team, the people, not Mister, I don't say team, but the people doing the, um, the Mister things will come to us with new knowledge. Uh, Contra recently got fixed in main because uh, yeah. the Mr. the Mister team did some research on it. They found out in the 3D stages uh, the barrels were meant not meant to always veer off to one side. There was a, a math chip we weren't emulating that didn't really change the performance too much. But at the same time, you know, everybody's working together. Every, we're always trying to improve things, and uh, their research aided our research. And. Uh, it's important to try and um, stay on top of things, but sometimes that does mean performance goes up, performance requirements go up. So just to and, stick um, with this for a second, um, video cards don't really matter for performance for MAME still, right? They don't. It's not like they're using the GPU hardware to enhance the performance output, right? Or has that changed? Uh, the GPU in MAME is only really used for the uh, CRT filters and the like at the moment. Okay. There's no emulation code being offloaded onto it. There might be in the future. It's just finding a good way of doing that. You, you know, you want you want a way of doing that that is always going to give the same results regardless of card. Uh, which historically is a problem with three D accelerated things. I mean, if you look at say the model turning later, mm-hmm. a lot of people are struggling to run that on newer cards, newer hardware, because newer cards behave in a slightly different way. And if you look at the source code for that, I mean, sorry. I mean, so the source code isn't public, but I've seen the source code for that, and it is full of little hacks just to make sure it works with the way the cards at the period render things, and obviously now that doesn't quite apply. And uh, Same with some of the, the um, recent PC-based arcades that are being hacked to run on PC. Mm-hmm. They were designed with a specific video card in mind, and if you're not running that card, they don't quite work properly. You know, you get uh, depth sorting issues, you get entire scenes not rendering... So if we're going to integrate um, hardware 3D support into MAME, we have to kind of consider that. We have to look at a way of almost treating it more like um, a processor. Mm-hmm. You know, we offload actual tasks where we know what the result is going to be, and then we use that to, you know, an extra core, an extra set of cores, doing things that video card's good at, rather Makes than sense. just trying to throw polygons at the screen because that's always going to change over time. And, you know, the one thing we want MAME to be is always giving the same results, regardless of the platform. Obviously, frame rate is going to suffer, but the, the final output should be the same, regardless of what you're running it on, if that makes yeah, sense. no, 100%. I think that's the right way to do it. Um, and uh, what about RAM requirements at all? Like, what do you think, you know, is a good amount of RAM to have in a computer just to make sure that there's no bottlenecks um, or anything? I mean, there's not much in MAME that requires an extreme amount of RAM. I recently um, had this machine upgraded to 32 gig, but that was just for streaming. Before that was on 16, I never noticed any bottlenecks. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure if you can run, you know, a modern version of Windows comfortably, you can run MAME comfortably. I think the biggest allocation I knew of MAME even in the past was like um, a two gig bitmap for some some game and that was sort of a 
one-off case of it allocating a huge bit. I think that was um, Golfing Greats by Konami that has a huge time map or something like that. And oh, wow. uh, it's uh, you know, the, obviously the original PC doesn't have it, but trying to represent that amount of RAM, that size tile map for the whole course, and storing as a cache bitmap required about two gig of memory or something like that. But that was sort of an exceptional case. It's um say so I wouldn't say RAM was a major factor with, with MAME, uh, to be honest. If you if it, if you can run Windows, you can probably run MAME without it being a problem. Because, uh, uh, you know, this conversation sparked a thought in that, you know, if you don't own a Raspberry Pi 4 and you want to mm. get one, you want to get a decent case for it, and you want to get a power supply because you can't use a, a cheesy power yeah. supply, you have to use a decent one, you got to buy a micro SD card for it, mm. you're looking at about 100 bucks, right? Yeah. You know, you may be able to get it cheaper, it might be more expensive depending, but that's what you're about looking for. But you could find mm. a lot of um, repurposed PCs yeah. that have, you, you know, a bare minimum specs for today, but that were really powerful, mm. you know, 10 years ago. So you can get a yeah. small form factor. So they're still way bigger than a Raspberry Pi, mm. but, you know, as big as a couple of, couple of hardcover books, you know, with an i5 processor that's, you know, maybe three gigahertz and four gigs of RAM for like mm. $75. And, yeah. Or you could get old laptops with broken screens that have those specs mm. that you could just rip the screen off and don't just rip the screen off. My fellow nerds <laughs> do it right. But like, <laughs> you know, but you could have yourself a small portable mm. thing. And I like the laptop idea because it's got the keyboard built in mm. too. And you could very easily have yourself a dedicated MAME machine yeah. off of yeah. old hardware for less price that you get yeah. more performance out of. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think that the, the Pi is the cheap option, as you say. Especially, you know, companies will be getting rid of these machines that they don't want anymore, and most of them haven't been pushed to their limits if they're just being used for word processing and the like. And many of them are of a, a very good main spec. I mean, you might want to shove a slightly older graphics card in there to get away from the integrated one if you want to run the filters or something like that. But yeah, so the I think I think even though the some of the i5 i7 gener generation built-in gpu will do some of that for you as long as you're not you know pushing the resolutions too high you know you're not running 4k or anything like that they'll, they'll probably still do it do a job um but yeah, yes the only that's... reason i ever got really excited about the raspberry pi stuff is because it was one set of hardware that people could concentrate mm. their efforts on yeah because when i spent I mean, I am. I don't need to, to tell you. I'll tell the rest of the people listening. I'm not exaggerating when I say I've spent thousands and thousands of hours of my life messing with emulation from the 90s till now. An absurd yeah. amount. And it's always been, with the exception of two different scenarios, it's always been more time configuration, setting up, mm. get dealing with bugs than actual gaming. Yeah. And that Mortal Kombat machine was the only one because I basically used a bunch of different pieces of stuff that was out there to make my own very mm. basic interface for the purpose of, mm. you know, the more basic, the less to go wrong. Yeah. And the Raspberry Pi solutions because mm. there was a whole bunch of people rather than one person putting 200 hours into something, everybody yeah. put some time into it. So I mm. think that's and I haven't had, since that MK machine, I haven't gone back to do a PC build of MAME but a lot mm. of people have told me there's tons of things that are focused now 
on general PC use with it. There's even the Linux boot mm. uh, boot ISOs that you could put on a, a yeah. flash drive where you could just boot from there and even use your existing PC that you use for everything else. Just stick this USB stick in and boot mm. MAME from it. And I'm really looking forward to going back and trying those mm. things again because um, I, I think there was a period of time where it was just... I'd rather take the performance hit, but not spend a mm. day getting something configured. And now I think it's mm. swimming back around where I think both are good choices, but I'd probably want to mm. mess with the PC again next. I mean, there, I think there have been those Linux-based boot CDs for a while. Uh, a lot of them are targeting kind of low-spec PCs in the first place, so they're not yeah. always the ideal solution. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I've not looked into them personally because it's not really something I do. I mean, I'm developing the project. I'm not looking for that type of solution. But I think I've been around for a while. Um, but yeah, you say with the Pi, uh, at the time, it was a, quite focused. But these days, you say you've got the original Pi, you've got the Pi Zero, two, three, four. That's kind of fragmented that market. Yeah. And a lot of those are still targeting the lowest hardware, which is the problem. You can get a Pi 4, and then you find all these images out there, which are really tailored more to the three. an original Pi. Or three, or you know, the, the, or even like the Pi Zero, and you, you, there's no reason to be running a, a 20 year old main, main build on a Pi Four, but these build these, especially the pre built ones that people are putting out there, do that. Uh, I think to to a point, you still get that with the PC. I, I think with with Main, some of it, the time you put in, is what you get out of it. Um, I, I don't know if there are other solutions out there which. You use more modern versions for pre-built images, like you say these boot CDs. I've not really studied it these days, but I think once you set it up, which might take a while, then a lot of the time you can just forget about it. You know, you, you can put put a week's worth into setting it all up, and uh, then well, I if, mean, the problem the work. problem with those setup things wasn't wasn't mm. the use. So once you like if you theoretically had a keyboard sitting next to you and you yeah. you know give up your DOS prompt and you you know you manually enter it mm. in and you load your game that yeah. was that's no setup. Like you configure your buttons, you make sure that no yeah. button combo opens a menu or closes it and you're done. The problem was what happens when you want to switch games? What happens when you want to just do mm. a soft reset? What happens if you want to yeah. have a party over and you don't want to take out a keyboard every time you have yeah. to select a game, you want people to select and that's where the then. issue was. That's where that's yeah. you know getting getting MAME yeah. running in a scenario like that is quick and easy and reliable. Mm doing everything else isn't so that was it was the skin i guess yeah basically. yeah the 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 front ends i mean that that's that's a whole field of its own front ends and things like that i know, I know things like hyperspin were a massive amount of work to set up and people you know people were selling their hyperspin projects because they put so much they put thousands of hours into getting this specific setup with all these graphics and all this and all the everything else and yeah. um i mean obviously these these days mame itself does have a more robust full screen interface. It's not perfect for the situation you described though, because people can easily change the settings. But it said I don't know what the uh, what the best front ends are these days, to be honest. Um the the, the, the selection out there. I'd say it's not something that personally I, I encounter that much because I am working from the command prompt. You know, I, I don't look at the interface that much. If I, if I'm developing something, I'll be changing the code, compiling it hitting you know up on the keyboard to get the last thing I type back up on the screen launching the game again and seeing if the bug I'm trying to fix is fixed yeah and um 
you know, I, I I don't mind if I've got people over. I don't mind doing the whole admin work. So you know, you want to play this game, I'll put this game up and everything else. But I can fully understand in say a party environment that's not going to work. It's you know, yeah, you can't do that. That's um, an argument I always have with my dev friends, and that like if you're yeah. talking about when I'm working on something, I'm working on a project. I've been doing the command prompt since that was your only choice, right? But yeah. when you're talking about when it's time to stop developing and start messing around mm. with it, like I, I refuse. I want something. I want a GUI. I want something to click on. I want something, you know, I, I want to feel something like friendly. there's a difference. I don't want to feel like I'm still in dev mode. I want to feel like yeah. crack a beer, play Mortal Kombat mode. <laughs> but it's just my yeah. preference. I'm not saying there's a right and wrong. No. It's just me personally. So No, I, I get that. And with front end development, it's it's a big task on itself. I mean, you you have to try and develop a front end that also supports the advanced features of an emulator. You get too many too many front ends that sort of don't let you use the emulator properly. They'll they'll cut out features. They'll stop you doing things, and that's not always ideal if you want to, a front end that's going to let you launch, you know, something else. Maybe a, a non arcade game with a different controller attached you know you yeah all the odd configurations and it's finding a balance um i mean what i think i think launchbox is still a pretty popular one these days but i've never tried to use it um again it's 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 something that needs it's its own research that um I've not done so. I, I you know, I, I don't have a huge amount of input on. I'll make, front I'll make that a priority to, to do a live stream <laughs> and a video about like let's let's build a you know yeah. main dedicated main PC and see where we go from mm. here because that's something now that I finally get out of a, a tiny apartment and into a real yeah. people sized house. I want to get uh, a sit down arcade mm. cab and I want to have a Mister setup and a main PC setup. So yeah, I'm gonna figure I'd... out the best way to go through that. If you're doing a, a proper high-end main PC setup, I think things like the FreeSync and G-Sync monitors make a real difference too because that's one of the big complaints we get is that things don't move smoothly because main tries to use the correct frame rates, the correct speeds, and everything else. And you, you, you typical monitors these days aren't like CRTs. They don't do that properly. Yeah. And so unless you're going to jump through hoops and hacks and everything else, you do need that for a good main setup i will say uh, i mean it's something i don't really even have here at the moment but again it, it doesn't really bother me too much because i'm doing development work right i'm not bothered about more expensive monitor but if you're doing that type of thing i guess it's, it makes sense yeah it's funny for me personally the gaming is all going to be on crts but everything oh, i do like, <laughs> i want to be able to do I want to be able to take screenshots. I want to be able to do live streams, mm. do videos. So that even though my gaming is always CRTs, yeah. I still have to deal with the HDMI side mm. of things just to make sure that all the yeah. digital stuff comes through looking okay. So, yeah, mm. it's pretty we, funny. <laughs> You've obviously got older systems like the Vectrex or Vector games where you can't do it on a CRT properly. If you want to do that properly, you would have to point a camera at the screen and uh, or use the emulator because there's there's not much choice there. And then the emulator is never going to look the same as um, yeah. uh, uh, the Vector monitors. I've had people you know, ask me quite often, you know, how can I stream from a Vectrex? Or it's like, well... <laughs> um, uh, you can a tripod get a and a zip tie, and then put your cell phone right <laughs> pretty there. Pretty much, and, pretty yeah. much. 
Um, I, I mean, I do love those things. They they look Me beautiful. Too. If you if you ever use one, I don't know if you've got one, but um, I had one for a while. My cousin still loves yeah. his. He plays yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're lovely screens. That I think we need we need a, the vector technology to come back. That was that was that was good tech for the games it ran. <laughs> yeah, but, and uh, there really is no way to emulate it because I mean no. I've seen CRT filters that if you didn't mm. grow up with CRTs, you'd you wouldn't know the difference, right? Yeah, no. But there's just there's no way to emulate the way a vector a vectrex quite, monitor or a vector monitor looks, right? Even Tempest, right? No. Like a yeah. lot of those original I, games, you can't quite ever get the same that's thing. Not being the, the same level of research into it either. I mean, you get the CRT filters that generally look okay, but the, the vector filters they're still very rough. And I've tried using some on the stream. You either get too much bloom, not enough bloom. You lose the subtlety in the the different brightnesses of the lines. You don't get the whole experience of a um, a Star Wars cabinet where the Death Star is exploding and you're kind of backing off from the screen because you think the screen might explode because it's pushing the monitor that hard and flickering and the image is sort of warping. And it's like, okay. And it's buzzing. You <laughs> I, hear this, the buzz yeah, get louder yeah, as do. the screen gets brighter. Yeah, there, there's a the whole you experience part of that. So. You don't get that. Um, <laughs> But uh, let's say they, they do those Star Wars mini cabinets now, but I don't think they have a proper vector monitor, do they? I think they're just a, a yeah. standard monitor these days. Um, the other thing yeah. is the, you know, chaos theory. I just watched Jurassic Park again the other day, but like <laughs> how you nothing is, is perfect on any type of CRT. So when you get the CRT emulation, it's a really perfect emulation. Like even when they do the, like the, <laughs> the old school where the, it's curved, it's a little. Yeah. It's still a little too perfect, right? It's it it's all it random is. on CRTs, and even more so with the vector monitors. How it blooms out every direction that the beam mm. is going in when it like it just it's not. Yeah, it's hard to to ever. I don't know if anybody yeah. could ever replicate that. I mean, the the whole thing with a lot of the CRT filters is a lot of them based on the NTSC tech as well, and obviously over here we had PAL while the NTSC, so it's always going to look a bit different. Mm. But I remember trying to work with Deluxe Paint on the Amiga, and you'd fill the screen white, and the image would expand. You'd fill the screen black, and it'd contract. Or you could have half and half, and your status bar would be like this. <laughs> and, you know, even the best CRT filters aren't doing that. I'm not sure you'd want that, but... I wouldn't want that, but it's, it's still it's still part of the experience, right? Yeah. I was just right before uh, I was um, I started this with you. I was doing a, uh, shooting my weekly Q and A, and we were talking about like the the randomness and, and just accepting the CRT for what it is. Like, don't obsess yeah. about perfect. I mean, I shouldn't say that. If you want to obsess about perfect geometry, go right ahead. But for me yeah. personally, it's like. Yeah, I'd get really annoyed if my 65-inch OLED had geometry that was all <laughs> that just that would look stupid, it would bother me, yep. it would ruin the experience, but it's kind of it part of the experience on the CRT, you know? Yeah. And part of the, you know you that say the noise they made as well sometimes all these things they're part of the past though. I guess we do the best these days to make the the graphics look pretty much right because obviously if you've got big blocky pixels that's not how a lot of the, these were these looked in the first place so something to almost make the art look a bit more like it was designed uh, yeah obviously the ntsc stuff you, you some of the artifacting used in game actually used in games there to create colors hmm. is uh, an emulation field on its own and then some of the accidental things um there's a bug report open for MAME with the Mega Drive and the NTSC filters, which is about zero tolerance. And the uh, the striped effect there 
on a uh, uh, proper CRT creates a rainbow effect. And apparently the rainbow effect isn't quite the same in MAME. The designers probably didn't intend that effect to be there at all. It's probably a case of, uh, th- this happened. But, um... Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I love things like that. I don't want to get too off topic here, but, like, when uh, I, I'm in a band to play music and stuff, and when we were recording the album a couple of years ago, I'm talking to the guy who's mixing it, and, I, you know, I always have my... I mean, my OCD, I have my three-page list of all the little things, yeah. like, what's this, what's that? And we get to the last page, and I'm like, what's the sound at this part of this song? And he's like, what are you talking about? And, you know, mm. he plays it back, and we listen, he goes, I don't hear it. I was like, it almost sounds like a cowbell, but not quite, and it almost sounds like the drummer hit hit the rim, mm. but that's not... And we found out that it was just a weird artifact of two of the plugins that made a really yeah. neat... Like, you wouldn't know it was there unless, like, you were looking for it, but it kind of added mm. a weird thing, and it was all a mistake. It was all just a weird thing. And uh, so, like, uh, that's part of the other thing about getting these game experiences more accurate to the original, because mm. you could you could say that was a mistake and that there's a, a sound in one song of my album that shouldn't be there, but I love it. Yeah. And I, that's one of the reasons why I'm so appreciative when people go back and try to tweak these older games because it's all it's the glitches, the bugs, the you know yes. the, the rainbow effect that you just talked about that probably wasn't supposed to be there anyway. <laughs> it adds so much like unique charm to all of these experiences. It's another reason why with main we like to make sure not just the most correct, most current version of any game gets preserved. We like the prototypes, we like the early revisions. Uh, the famous examples, obviously, things like Street Fighter 2, where the early versions had the sort of handcuff bugs and the reset bugs and all, the, all these things. And people remember them. People like them. They Capcom, you know, fixed the game eventually, took these things out. But uh, people still want to be able to go back and see those old versions, those old bugs. And, uh, again, that's something you get with emulation. You lose that a lot with um, modern systems. Every, I mean, every time I turn the PlayStation on... It's like, this game needs an update. You must update this game, otherwise you can't connect online. You can't do this, you can't do that. So something can be taken out of game, and then you'll never see it again. Uh, I guess with arcades in the first place, if the arcade fixed the game, it'd be the same. But these days, at least with those, we can go back, and people will find um, old boards and things like that. Um, I think I don't know if there's any specific bugs, but uh, recently, like the last few days, a new Pengo set turned up. And it was found that it had the same encryption as the bootleg Pengo sets, rather than the typical Sega encryption on the other sets. And so it's very likely that that set that's just turned up is the earliest version of Pengo that all the bootleggers copied. Now, if there are any specific bugs or uh, interesting things about that, I don't know. But again... I, th- I think even with modern developments on old systems, though, we, we lose that. Um, I look at some of the new games on old systems on like itch, itch.io, itch.io, mm. and they only ever have the current version of the game on. If you want the older releases of the current software, you're going to have to ask around the community and hope somebody downloaded it. And so you can find the change this, fix this book, change this, change this, change that. If you want to see the older version before that was changed, before that was fixed, it's a bit of a problem, and that's that's a shame. I mean... Something we've learnt over the years with MAME is like older versions of software is worth documenting. People have some sort of connection to the older version, some connection to that bug you mentioned, some connection to this, some connection to that. And again, I'm I'm, I'm waffling on about uh, scope no. of MAME and support and things like that, but um, 
even for older games with emulated, it's always interesting to find an early revision, a different vision, a change revision, something you weren't expecting. That happens all the time too. Um, you know, even if you've played a game in MAME a thousand times, there might be a, a new set that's been added in the last five years that's turned up that, that's equally interesting to have a look at. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, so I, I don't think I got anything else to say on that subject. But uh, yeah, I thought it was an awesome answer. So whatever. Mm. <laughs> so I like doing open forum topics like this because we've covered mm. just random discussions about video games and you know, some of your in-depth knowledge on Mame. I, I really like the variety of this. So people who super nerds could enjoy it, just general mm. nerds like me could still enjoy it, even though I don't get all of what you're saying. I'm mostly following, <laughs> but um, you know. So I guess. So that's a perfect transition here. Uh, for people that want to get involved in MAME and want to play it on their own, I'll take care of that. I'll put up a new guide. Yeah. Uh, MAME in 2021, that's that's yeah. my job. That's what I'm supposed to be here for. I mean, but, I, I'm trying to do things like that too. Yeah, well, on the flip you know, side it's... of things, though, how do people want, if people want to get started helping or messing with it, or, or even mm. if they don't, not maybe in an official capacity, but they say, I'm into programming. I, you know, I want to try to add or fix or something, a game in MAME. Mm. How do they get started with that? You know, what's the tools they download? You know, mm. is it open in a way where anybody could just jump in and start messing with it and then maybe submit what they have if they're happy with it? I, I, yeah, the, I mean, the whole tool chain is, is open. We try and make sure it can always be compiled with open source software and the like. Um, if you go to the official main GitHub page, you know, you can download the source, install the client. I mean, I use source tree, which isn't the best. It's a bit rough around the edges, but it, it works for me. Uh, you create an account there. You can download the source. You can study the source. You can make pull requests. Uh, obviously, again, you're going to have to look up things. You're going to have to learn how, how the tools work, how the website works, how this works, how, you know, all that stuff. And uh, practice with it a little bit. Um, in terms of coding, I will always recommend, you know, studying what's there, which is, is what I've, I've always done. You know, if you've got an interest in the system, look at the driver that's there, try and understand how it works. There's not always that opportunity really recently to add simple, easy drivers, because most of what's easy to emulate before the emulators. So it's not like, you know, back in the day when I was finding random Korean games that use cloned hardware that could add to existing drivers. But study what's there. Um, find original hardware references. They're far easier to find these days than back in the day. And a lot of the time, people will think a bug in a game is a bug in MAME, and it's not. <laughs> it, that, that happens quite a lot too. Uh, so if you can find references to prove what you're doing is right and that you're not wasting your time trying to fix a bug that you're never going to fix because it's part of the game, as you because these these games are bucky. A lot of these games have really silly bugs you might not expect them to have. Um, for example, a lot of games, if you complete them on complete them, they won't give you the name entry screen because the developers, for some reason, run the end credits and forget to give you the name entry screen. That happens <laughs> on so many games, and people have reported that as bugs before. But it, it's not. That's just how the game is. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, all the all the tools are available. The the official, you know, mamedev.org site has a whole development tool section where you can download the package, you can update the package, the step-by-step instructions, how to download the package, how to download the source, and make sure you've got the account on GitHub if you actually want to contribute. Um easy things to contribute. Um I mean I've often said 
in in other other times. Just think things like um, the non-arcade software lists. Just keeping up with what's being dumped, adding them. You know, because we we don't have eyes everywhere. People people can be dumping new cartridges for systems, and they never submit them. You know, they they they'll post they post on a form somewhere. This prototype turned up. This prototype was dumped, and we might not see it. So if somebody opens a pull request to add that to the software list for the XML, so that main knows about it, that is a, a valid contribution. Uh, for more advanced things, pardon me. You know, we we do need people with a good knowledge of the systems to start becoming involved because a lot of main work these days is external. A lot of the contributions are external. People with a really deep knowledge of a system who've done research on the system contributing to it. And that that is really important because, you know, the core team is is pretty small. Um, Even these days, you know, I work externally to the core team mostly. So it's something to, to keep in mind that don't take for granted that we're going to do something. Don't even take it for granted that just because we haven't done something, it's going to be ridiculously difficult. Um, I fixed a bug in one of the Botanic clones uh, yesterday, the day before, and that was actually really simple. Um, the, the game had weird glitchy behaviour, and it looks like a protection check in that. There's one of these fixed-value ones. And that's probably been broken in MAME for five, ten years. And I guess nobody looked at it. But there are always little things like that to look for and fix, even even beyond you know the huge know the system inside out thing. You can look for little things like that. Um, same with Sega's Tranquilizer gun. It crashed after level three. And again, that's just a few protection checks in the code returning fixed values in different situations. There were probably a, a pal on the PCB or something like that. And it was an easy fix, but I, I'm, I'm sat there scratching my head thinking, so we've been shipping MAME with this bug in for uh, you know, 15, 20 years. And it would have been really easy for somebody to sit down, look into that, pull up the disassembly and fix it. It's that well, not the most challenging bug to fix. Um, I'm, I'm quite surprised. Again, it's one of these. I'm quite, quite surprised. I end up being the person that fix that, because it's kind of trivial. But maybe just nobody cared about the game. Maybe people thought that's too difficult. I, I could never fix that. In the end, the fix was like five lines of code. Yeah, I'm so um, glad you brought that up because that's not something I would have thought to say. That's a brilliant point. And that mm-hmm. just because it's not fixed doesn't necessarily mean it's a really no. huge hurdle. So if no. you have some coding knowledge, you know, jump in and see. You never yeah. know. Yeah, there's, there's always opportunities. Um, being self-motivated is, is probably the main one. Not being intimidated by a task and just trying something. It, it, so that's important. And if you've got those, you know, those, those skills... That, that can take you a long way with it. Um, the, the approval process can be quite tough, quite nitpicky these days, which even gets on my nerves, but it's just kind of the way the project is run. It's like, yes, this, that, everything else, you know, this isn't quite up to scratch. You didn't name this quite right. And that can be off-putting. Um, even the times that that's put me off, I will say, don't let that put you off too much. It's just kind of the the, the current way the project tries to keep things tidy, keep things organised, keep things 
presentable, well-maintained for the future. It's, it, um, it's Yeah, while I can't speak for programmers, I could surely speak for being picky about stuff like that because it's yeah. so easy for large-scope projects to just suddenly, you mm. have no idea where anything is, where anything's yeah. labeled, and it it's never... You never see it coming. It's just like, yeah. all right, well, we don't really need to worry about those labels. I'll come back next week. And then yeah. a year later, it's like, what the hell happened? I can't find anything. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I at least understand that side of it, <laughs> even yeah, not being that, a programmer. Yeah, it, it's frustrating as a programmer because sometimes you just want to be able to get on with something. Sometimes you burnt yourself out studying something. And you're right, this is done. I want this out of the way. I want to move on to something else. And then you, you come back and it's like, no, change this, change this, change this, change this, change this. <laughs> I thought I was done. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, MAME, because MAME, MAME evolved so rapidly over the years, there is a lot of code in MAME that has had to be revisited and improved in that way. You know, a lot of the work being done over the last few years that's not, you know, refining the emulation of things is just going back and tidying things up. Because, again, we want to... This wants we, this is our document. This is our you know encyclopedia of everything to present to the future generations. It does need to be presentable and respectable, even though that can be draining in itself. But again, I, I think I, I have seen and, and talked to people who have been really put off by that. And I, I can empathise with that. I can understand that. But sometimes you do have to jump through those hoops to contribute. And uh, again, it might be easier to contribute to another project that doesn't or contribute to an, uh, an older fork of main where there are no standards. They're just throwing everything in they can to try and you know, uh, keep keep up with something or give the impression they're doing something. And it is strict. And um, again, again, with MAME, you've got a case of you can't just apply a fix that fixes one thing without testing it elsewhere. Your fix has to be correct for maybe a whole bunch of other systems, 10, 15 systems using the same chip. It's very easy to look at the source code, maybe another emulator that only emulates one system and go, oh, that does that this way, so that must be correct. But you get to MAME and you realise that there are 10 other systems using that chip, which disproves what the other emulator was doing. So while that other emulator might do a better job of one platform, it's actually doing it by doing things the wrong way. Mm. And again, that's something that people tend to have a, a problem understanding because you know, if you've got an emulator that's 100% compatibility for, say, the Spectrum or CPC, because the CPC and Spectrum only use the chip in a certain way then why is that not acceptable to main? But then you've got all these other use cases that have to be considered. It's, it's, it's difficult, it's challenging, but don't be too put off with it. Just understand that in the end, all these other test cases are helping you develop better code, helping you to understand things better. It's, um, point. it's just how it is these days. It's hard to promote in a positive way, but at the same time, the end result is a better emulation of this component rather than just a system-specific hack, um, which, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge. It makes sense. Is there a central mm. place for discussion? Do you, do you, is there, like, a meme Discord server that people prefer um, just on the GitHub? Or? There is a Discord server, but it's usually closed off. The, the invites go out every now and again. It's more sort of just where the developers gather. There are forums on uh, mamedev.org, but they don't get used much. The banisters.org forums, which is listed in the MameDev uh, site as support forums, do get used a bit more, although the registration process tends to be quite slow. But I think the accounts are manually approved still because there was a, quite a lot of spam problems and things like that. So it's a bit awkward. Um, 
say, I think that that's probably one of the better places to ask, though. Mm. Um, you'll still get uh, developers on, you know, main world, even though that isn't really a major site these days and is kind of a little bit dead. Mm. Um, people post on, you know, there, there are generally a few devs looking in, in, in different places, so you usually find somebody. Um, I'm not really what, sure what to say. Uh, um, no, that's sometimes people, a good answer. <laughs> you know, some, sometimes people post things on my, my YouTube account, you know. They go to, yeah, I do my streams, uh, YouTube slash Mainhaze. Perfect uh, perfect segue. Asking. That was going to be my final yeah. question is where do people find you? And I've, I've yeah. worked on quite a few of your streams, by the way. I'm not, yeah. I don't usually interact because I'm usually looking and listening while I'm doing 10 other things. But uh, <laughs> you do very interesting streams sometimes where you go through <laughs> some yeah. sometimes good games, sometimes terrible yeah. games, sometimes everything. <laughs> I, I like to mix it up. <laughs> I like to mix it up. So, um, um, yeah, um, so your YouTube so, yeah. account again, sorry, is... Uh, YouTube slash Mamehaze, M-A-M-E-H-A-Z-E. And same for uh, Twitter and also Twitch. But I don't really use Twitch these days. Um, it's sort of a backup option if YouTube just falls apart. I've got the account. I've got some affiliate status there or something like that if I need to use it. And then I would sort of it, it, it sits there. And um, I might do the occasional thing on there as a, a surprise. But obviously YouTube, I've got a much bigger following than over there. And it's kind of nice to have that audience interaction. You know, if I stream on Twitch, sometimes it'd be like, hello world, I'm here. Maybe somebody can raid me. But on YouTube, I've had the YouTube channel for years. I've, you know, uploaded. I've not really done the live streams until more recently, but I've uploaded various progress videos of things, you know, new emulation things and the like. Tried to do it promotion. Um, say, I've kind of moved away from the whole website thing where I would do the... Uh, just write progress reports there because people seem to want it in a video format these days, which makes sense. You know, you see, see screenshots of things running rather or videos of things running rather than screenshots. You can hear them, especially with sound improvements. You know, you can hear the sounds better. I can't say all oh, this is improved and screenshot and is. You don't really get the idea on a, a, the website. Yeah. Although you know, I still do the uh, yearly summaries. Um, I mean, that's mamedev m a m e d e v dot i t slash. Um, no, sorry, I can't remember the URL. Let me let me just. I'll make sure to have. Uh, I'll have everything in the description. It's, in all the yeah, it's uh, the uh, the site URL is mamedo m a m e d e v dot m u lab e m u l a b dot i t slash haze. That's that's a much older site though. Um, say that's uh, that's just the one I used to post all the updates. I still do upload some screenshots i try and keep a sort of yearly log of things that i've done so i've got a 2021 one open at the moment where there are currently a bunch of screenshots of what let me just have a quick look um yeah i've got to say we've got some of these sharp cookie educational emulated screenshots up there some dora things a couple of uk fruit machines that have been improved some tv board game plug and plays uh, things like the mrs dynamite universal arcade game that showed up recently there's a few screenshots of that so you know i try and keep it a bit of a, a bit of a log of screenshots so that people who did used to go to that site can still go there and still see progress visually just in a, a single page where they can scroll through things sort of an evolution of the old main work in progress site that was online back in the day which was always popular because people like to see what was going on and not just have a big big text file that they can't digest which yeah. isn't always ideal but yeah so yeah if you people want to catch up with there um they can i can give you the 
links if you want to put them in the description, something like that, because it's probably easier than uh, people trying to understand every yeah. word I've said and accents and all that lot, because <laughs> I don't want them to end up um, confused. No, I'll make sure to have yeah, all the okay. links in the description. Right. And, you know, thanks so okay. much for taking the time to do this. I both really appreciate the time and I'm frustrated because I have about 9 million other questions I wanted to ask, <laughs> but I feel like this is well, a good starting off point. Maybe we yeah. could do a live stream together in the future or something when I put together yeah, a, a dedicated main PC thing or something. If, if you've got any more questions to ask anything like that in the future, I'm always happy to, to find a slot and talk to people. And I say, I'm sure you could find other developers as well who, who are willing to. Um, I can try and ask around if you want, but I, I'd say I don't know specifically who would or who wouldn't, but I, I know there's other people out there who do talks, especially if you've got you know specific areas you want to cover and things like that. But yeah, it's, it's been good, thank you. And I say I appreciate you inviting me on here, allowing me to talk about these things, and it's been nice having a good chat. You know, it's something. Because it's one thing I, I kind of really didn't do for a long time. I sort of shied away from the public view, just got on with things, put my site up, and uh, I think these days it kind of makes more sense to sometimes just talk about what's being done, reflect on it, and or yeah. sometimes just start talking. Yeah, the conversation yeah. leads itself because I mean this yeah. was great. You're good at this, so do more of them, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. You too. So you know, I say I've got to catch up with some of your older ones as well. I've sort of. Looked at some of them, but I've never managed to sit down and watch them all in a, a big block or anything like that. And but yeah, I, I should I, do the that. one that you There's might want to listen to is with me and Dan Mons because he mm. renewed my interest in Mame and and because right. I mean I was I'd never lost interest, but like mm. as new things come out, sometimes you only have enough yeah. hours in the day. And talking to him, yeah, exactly. That, and mm. It was him trolling me to stop using a Raspberry Pi to use Mame <laughs> was really what got me reinterested yeah, in I, it. I'd so. say, mm, <laughs> it's to say, I say, I look at I look at your YouTube channel and I see all this hardware you've looked at, all this review, this and that, and it's like, well, with what I'm doing, I don't have time for all that stuff. So. You know, I can fully understand if you're not dedicated to doing MAME stuff, a lot of it's just going to pass you by and you're going to come back in five, ten years and go, what's changed? And, and uh, Everything, apparently. Some, some way of, yeah, everything. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, so that makes it. All right, let's say thank you. It's, it's been good. And um, I, don't, I don't know how you want to end this or close this, but, yeah, it's it's been good. Just a good thank you. Thanks again, and uh, right. I'll, I'll definitely right. be keeping in touch. So. Right, take care. Look after yourself. Bye. Thank you.